This is Democracy in America, a left-right conversation about the difficult issues facing our nation. Welcome to Democracy in America podcast with Annabelle Park and Rich Taffel. This week, we're going to do something a little bit different. Annabelle is in the room with us, but we're going to bring on a guest, our first guest to the podcast, the Reverend Joseph Smith. Hello. is going to join the podcast today, and we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, race and politics and the election and just in general, beyond just the horse race politics, we want to talk about how does America move forward on racial issues as one of our topics today. So we plan to cover a bunch of topics. Let me give a little context to Reverend Joseph Smith. Um, he is a dear friend of mine. We are both pastors in the Washington, D.C. area. And I met Joseph when he was at the Faith and Politics Institute, where he was basically working exactly at the intersection that we're talking about in this podcast, the intersection of where does faith come into politics? You may have heard about the trips to civil rights landmarks in the South where bipartisan teams go. Joseph was one of the coordinating teams for those trips and got to work with Republicans, got to work with Democrats, uh, organized prayer breakfast, organized events in politics. So he's very steeped in Washington political culture and was on the staff of the church, and I can let him talk more about it, that <laughs> President Barack Obama actually attended. You make me sound so important, Rich. I'm you are, pay you. You are very important, Justice Smith. Um, <laughs> and you. definitely one of my favorite pastors in Washington, which is how our friendship has grown up. Where do you see race in America being played out? It's a big question. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a huge question. I mean, I, I think that... Um, relative to where we are as a society, I think that that answer is going to vary depending on the seat that you sit in, because like for lots of communities of color, um, we are right in the middle of racial tension, especially the black community with um, police officers who act egregiously. Right. Um, there's a lot of, of, of angst and a lot of disdain and a lot of anger, uh, rightfully so. Uh, toward people who hold power mm -hmm. in any any place. You know, I think that um, I mean, I don't I, I can't speak for the whole of, you know, the African-American community and, and I'm not Latino. So this next statement obviously is sort of just my my perception. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, um, our Latino brothers and sisters, you know, are, are experiencing race kind of um, it, it feels violent. You know what I mean? When they see uh, folks uh, at the border who might who, who look like them right um maybe some of their family members i mean like they're having a very tough time um i think sort of grappling with a a, a nation that sort of is built on diversity and claims that you know like diversity is one of its mainstays and yet all of the people who are minorities who find themselves as i would say in the margins if mm -hmm. you will yeah. um are having really difficult times and we don't really see the right kind of um action from the right people um t t taking place what i what i mean by that is like we don't we don't see enough 
white people, right, standing up and speaking up for these communities relative to police brutality, like, uh, at least from my perspective, like the people who I see talking about police brutality often look like me. The voices that are the loudest are often the ones who look like me. And so, I mean, it would be really great to see like this, this rallying cry from um, America in general, right, America as a, as a whole, um, uh, the folks who represent a large swath of the country, um, who sit in boardrooms and who can have an effect in these in maybe subtle ways, right? To see them say, you know what, we should address this. Like we need to do something about this. And I'm not saying that it's not happening at all, but it's definitely certainly not happening um, enough. So um, I. I think that the question of race depends on like where where you sit, because mm -hmm. there are white people who say, you know, after the election of Barack Obama, well, like we're beyond that race thing. I mean, mm -hmm. we had our, you know, our first black president and we have all of these first being sort of um, marked off or checked off in terms of the things that people of color are doing. But we still got a long way to go. So um, and we still got a lot of work to do relative to race. Like I would love to be able to drive down the street and even if I'm getting pulled over by the police, not have like this averse reaction in my body, in my being, in my embodiment relative to police officers. I, I would love for that to happen. But it's going to be a long time before um, I can probably have that experience. And I can probably say for most people of color, um, it'll be a long time. We've got work to do as a country. I don't know if that answers your question. It doesn't. That, yeah. No, beautifully. Two things I want to go down a little deeper on that were really uh, profound. So I just came from a gathering in Newport News, Virginia, that commemorated the 400th anniversary of uh, the first Africans who were brought on U.S. soil, uh, the first slaves. And... Uh, it was a commemoration by the National Council of Churches to memorialize the the twenty odd lives. That's how it's recorded. Um, it was a beautiful service. The twenty odd lives that were. That's how it was recorded. That these tw okay. twenty odd, you know, yeah. you know, in the records. Um, it's an odd way of describing it, but they, they didn't even care exactly yeah, the number. number. Wow. Uh, and it it is the birthplace, evidently, of the first um, you know African African American, um, who I think's uh, last name was t was Tucker. And so beautiful ceremony. What was interesting in the National Council, we have a Orthodox and the mainline Protestants that are largely white. And then we have a lot of the black churches. And in fact, the black churches are the most thriving and vibrant. Um, more Southern than, Baptist? Uh, no. No. Uh, we have American Baptist, but I, we have basically National Baptist, which mm. would be an African-American Baptist. And we have AME Zion and so forth, and AME mm. and so forth. And they're vibrant. Um, what I noticed in the, and they did most of the speaking, okay. the black churches. And so um, in a lot of the uh, speaking and Ruby Sales, you might know. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah she was yeah. one of the speakers. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. She is so, phenomenal. She is phenomenal. Yeah. I, I was a big fan. But what I was struck by was um, some of the things that you just said. One, they definitely, in speaking, described police brutality as modern day Jim Crow, and they described the treatment of immigrants as uh, a slave trade, and they used those things, which you you highlighted both of those. Um, so let's go. Let's but let's go a little deeper uh, because I find the conversation very bifurcated, and human beings by necessity want to be on the good side. Mm -hmm. So in their story, it was. Really, they even in Ruby Sales' comments, she said that they, it was the movement of escaped slaves, escaping slaves, 
that freed the black community. Well, you know, she never mentioned the abolitionists who were mainly white or a civil war where a lot of white people died to free slaves, among other things. That wasn't their only goal, but slavery was a huge issue. In fact, as you know, Republicans at that time who were the pro-slavery side were called black Republicans by the Democrats. So no mention of that. And I noticed that on the white side, there's also uh, a different story, a different narrative of how they say things. And and I want to share how conservatives or maybe the white community might see some of those issues. And I'd love to discuss that with you. OK, let's see. Okay. Let's go. Let's I mean, go. Yeah, let's, let's, see what, <laughs> let's see how it unfolds. Yeah. OK, so here's so let's just let's just talk about. So let me just use one. Uh, Michael Brown. Ferguson. Yes. Okay. So he was cited in a lot of the prayers and he's kind of become an iconic figure. Yeah. And Ferguson is an iconic moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I'm going to give what I would say is the conservative, what conservatives would say among themselves, they would not, they would say, they would not say it probably publicly or uh, in, in a group because they'd be afraid of being called racist. Can I just point out yes. that probably the reason why Michael Brown was used and not Trayvon Martin because Trayvon Martin's case was not related to the police. Michael Brown's was, yes. I think, the first um, public display. Well, not the first, but I'm saying in, in the last, let's say, five years, it's, it was the first among the police brutality. It certainly had, the, had the camera. Elevated. Right. right? That the were camera, elevated. And we right. saw it. We all watched it. Right. Right, right. right. We all watched pieces of these different ones now that we've never seen. So Michael Brown's kind of interesting. And, and again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present a conservative side that I don't think is very publicized. Um, and it's probably pretty shut down, but it would be something like this. Uh, Slavery, evil. Uh, Jim Crow, evil. Uh, Discrimination, evil. Mm -hmm. Racism, evil. Mm -hmm. Um, But now this is where the narrative really changes, and it's not much talked about. The black community switched its affiliation into the Democratic Party, and it became, in a sense, on a plantation of the Democratic Party, meaning the Democratic Party gave them welfare. Mm. Put them into, put the black community who are poor into housing projects, and created almost a whole welfare state for mm-hmm. the black community. And uh, what we've done as a society- Well, not just black people though, right? Poor, 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 poor white but people I, Yeah, too, but I'm, right? I'm, uh, the, yeah. The, I'm just like, this would be the narrative on race. Yeah. So the black community becomes, um, you know, we see single motherhood rise up and we see poverty rates much higher than they were in the black community than say like the Harlem Renaissance or the 50s or the 60s. So we see a, a change. And so the white conservative who, uh, and it's complicated because the white conservative fled probably that city, whatever city we're talking about, to the suburbs and created white suburbs and black cities with no tax base, frankly. So there's no economics. But then they would say that the the, uh, personal responsibility dropped too. So these... Um, housing <laughs> projects, personal responsibility, personal responsibility being, being responsible. Like in other words, if a kid robbed a store, say at a certain time in history in the 50s or 60s or 70s, the parents were as bad in school, the parents would back the teacher or the thing. Nowadays, it's racism. So I, and Michael Brown is the one that would be an interesting example because the story that was told was that the police you know, shot a guy in the back with his ha- hands up, don't shoot. That became a mantra. He became a name. He became an icon. The Obama administration you know, investigated it. And that is actually not true. Evidently, he reached in, tried to grab the policeman's gun and was shot that way. So it was a completely, after he had done something violent to somebody else. So far from like a heroic icon, he's, a, and I'm going to just say, like he's 
create, he's engaging in criminal activities that engage him with the police. And should he have been shot? Uh, me personally, I don't even understand why these police are always shooting everybody and not even using tasers or other but things. But they're not even shooting. Every, but, so the challenge is. With but Michael in this Brown, case, but I'll just let me just, just I'll finish and I'll let you go. The point <laughs> of the, the point of the story is with Michael Brown real yeah. quickly is that because it's kind of iconic for sure. the for the white conservative community would be the real problem there is a community that's in chaos when you blame it on the police. What the police are going to do is pull out of those communities, and now we're seeing Chicago, Baltimore, and Washington. We're seeing crime rates skyrocket as police back off. So that would be that would be another take. What's your response to that kind of? That's a narrative, not very publicly said, but the idea is you're saying racism, and we're saying it's personal responsibility. Gosh, I mean, I have so much to say. Like, mm-hmm. so I, I I I don't think that it's the case that the I, I don't think it's the case that police sort of back off when they, you know, in, when they encounter high levels of crime. I think that it's actually the the inverse that police are actually sort of um, almost targeting these communities because there is, quote unquote, crime there, which creates this adverse sort of relationship between police officers and the pe- people who live in those communities, because if 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 you are essentially hunting me, right, mm-hmm. then I'm not going to I, I'm not going to trust you. Right. So the police are not sort of engaging in these in, in, in community police. And certainly we know that um, from all the stuff that we have seen both um, in the news and, and the things that we have read and on social media, right? We right. we do understand that the concept of community policing is like pretty, pretty rare. It's not absent, but it's rare by community policing. I mean, where the police are showing up and engaging the people in a community in a positive way that allows people to, that engenders trust from the people who live inside those communities, right? Right. Th- that's not happening. So if I only see you show up when, you know, uh, when someone, when, when there's a, a problem, but I don't see you here sort of helping to to be a part of this community like that, that it's particularly when you don't look like Mm -hmm. me, you understand what I'm saying? Um, So, so I, I I think there are ways in which communities of color distrust the police, both because of what we understand about them historically and the ways that they show up presently. Um, You made the point that like um, the police come into the community, but they, they come into communities, but they are not shooting everybody. See, the, the challenge is, I mean, I just watched something on on Instagram that um, the singer Tyrese posted where there's this white guy who mm-hmm. is essentially engaging in a freaking fight with the police. And they're just like, I, they have these little like things that look like fishing poles. I don't know, maybe they're some kind of whip or something that they're like kind of throwing at him, but he's not shot. And time and time again, Thanks to social media, we're seeing ways in which police officers, mainly who are white, are engaging people of color much differently than they do their white counterparts. So 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 there's not this. I think that the perspective that the the conservative perspective that you shared is based in Mm -hmm. a worldview and a lived experience that where. Um, where 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 they are given certain concessions by police officers that people of color are not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in other words, the 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 playing field is is different, mm-hmm. right? By by virtue of the fact of the color of my skin, I'm uh, when a police approaches me, he is automatically kind of either brainwashed or trained or um, socialized, right? Mm-hmm. If I make a sudden move, boom, to shoot. 
mm-hmm. right to shoot to shoot me. Yeah. But that does not also happen in communities where the folks are white. Like if we're in Washington, D.C. and we're talking about Washington, D.C., like the response of police in Georgetown to mm-hmm. the people who live in that community, very different than the response of the police officers to people who live in southeast Washington, Washington, D.C., which which then creates like this problem that, of course, white conservatives would not understand because they're white and conservative and they get to live in this bubble that removes them from having to experience the kind of trauma that communities of color have to experience when we engage the police. So uh, I, I'm not surprised that their perspective is mm-hmm. is shaped and colored in that way but i think as we talk about how what are the ways that we are able to move forward like um well i think one of the reasons why our friendship works is because one we respect each other Mm -hmm. we learn from each other but like i i get to see the world through your lens when i'm having a conversation with you right Mm -hmm. um and that conversation is really from a place of honor and respect and dignity. And I'm not approaching that conversation with with like ideals or perspectives that demean you or disrespect you or count you out or push you aside. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing for for you. And so as we talk about how can we move forward as, as a country, well, I, a, I think that um, I, I think that white people who are serious about like seeing the country reconcile relative to race. Like you have to decide that the person that that people of color are people who 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 are deserving of of respect just because they are human. It doesn't matter if they have an education, whether they split verbs or not, if they went to the right school, if they live in the right neighborhood, like they're just worthy of respect because they are human. And you have to assume that those people also share the same perspectives and values and ideas and hopes for their family as, as, as you for yours, right? Like Everybody wants to see their children thriving. Everybody wants to see their their families healthy. Everybody wants to live in a nice, clean community that is safe. But because of the way that the cards have been stacked, community some communities of color are not. It, it just plays out differently. And so, if 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 white conservatives mm-hmm. are really like interested in moving forward, I think one thing you could do is say, "Hey, let me make some friends with somebody." whose life experience is different from me. That's actually what, what you and I did, right? Mm-hmm. Different from, so that I can begin to understand so that when I'm listening to a story, I'm not listening to the story based simply from the seat that I get to sit in. I put myself in the shoes of the person over there, right? And this mm-hmm. is for, this This could work for any community, really. Any, any, any two entities that are seeking to be, I guess, reconciled or seeking to understand like, you 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 have to be able to put yourself in another person's shoes um we call it compassion and empathy and and all of those christian values like to to begin to understand like what is this person's lived experience how is this ex- how does the, the this person's embodiment sort of change the way that they see this thing whether it's policing or housing or the presidential race like um, and 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 I, I think that if 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 conservatives could just maybe step out of their world, and not just conservatives, I'm, I'm saying that yeah, because you brought that up, but like even white liberals who like <laughs> you know we all know about white liberals, like you know what I mean, like who come and you know like the white savior complex, right. and it's just you know like it, it and 
it's really interesting because one of the things that so Tana Hasi Coates wrote yeah. this new book called mm-hmm. The Water Dancer, and one of the things that one of the themes he lifts up in in um in this story is how like the white abolitionists, there was this one white abolitionist who was like she was part of what they call the underground, which is short for the Underground Railroad. And he, he talks about how she, she was essentially doing it, not really because she was interested in the humanity of the people that she was helping, but because it was something that fit, like made her feel, it was a power thing for her, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, in terms of her ability to rebel against the systems in which she grew, she grew up in. So, um, I, I'm going to, I've been talking for a while, so. Well, let me, let me just, uh, I think you make a really good point is that we grow up with narratives and stories that completely, pardon the pun, color our worldview. So I'm just thinking about, so I grew up in suburban Philadelphia, mm-hmm. area called Bucks County. And growing up, and it was completely white, except for kids who had been black, kids who had been there since slavery. Um, so, wow. but it was all white. And people made a real point. They said, where are you from? And people would say, are you from Philadelphia? And everybody would say, no, we're from Bucks County. And part of that was saying, we escaped Philadelphia. Hmm. And part of that at another level is Philadelphia is black. Mm-hmm. We're white and our schools were the best in the state. Not all said, but I mean, but said, but unsaid. And I remember uh, I played on a soccer team and I remember just driving in Philadelphia and just you keep the doors locked and the windows closed because you're going through the black neighborhoods. So what you know do I do that now when I'm driving in white neighborhoods <laughs> like, and white people walk up like a white lady walks and I hit my locks <laughs> and it's really it's disconcerting. Right. But it's important for me to let you know what that feels like when you're right. in my neighborhood and you hit the locks because you see me walking, even though I'm walking in a three piece suit and hard bottom shoes like the fly shoes that uh, Skylar has on. Like, but like even when I'm dressed up, like you're still hitting the lock and locking the right. door. And so but that locking of the door, that's the send, that sends a message to kids. Yeah. That at some point it's it's not what you would say is it's not racism, it's safety. So you race is tied into that. So then you, as you get older, you say, I'm not going to go into those neighborhoods, stay out of those neighborhoods. Don't walk into those neighborhoods. When I lived in, when I first moved to DC, we're, we're recording today on 16th street. Um, but I lived on 19th and you weren't allowed to go over to 16th because it was black and 14th so for sure interesting because for fear of the black community. So my, except my, Rich, can I say this? Yeah. Am I cutting you off? You yeah. Let me just make my, 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 I'm trying to get to a point. My point is that these these lessons are locked in and they they do lock in a bias in your mind you might not say they're race but you're getting a bias against a group of people who happen to be of a certain race so it, it, i think that's the way it works out that people um and i think even the police officers i mean you were asking why but i think when they black men are seen as dangerous and and violent at, by nature so the police officers are going into those situations thinking, well, these are black men. So therefore, I think that's all bit that we know that re- that bias is now built in to our mindsets. And I and the question is, how do you how do you change these biases? Um, Except we know that the bias is is one that people 
are it's a bias that people in some ways are actively choosing because the same black men that you are afraid of are the same black men who built your houses, the same black men who, who, who designed the air conditioner that sits in your, your window, the, the same, I mean, if we go back to slavery, we can talk about how the entire house, right? This is one of the points that Tana right. Coates sort of lifts up in his book that the entire house, the entire plantation, the, the, the it would not have survived if it were not for the black genius that existed on the plantation. So uh, moving forward outside of slavery, the, the, the black people who were maintaining the city streets and the city lights and, and all of the things that that white people needed black people to do in order to maintain their standard of living. And, and, and white people had black people in very close proximity to them, right? Mm -hmm. Right? So for, for me, the bias is one that people... Are, they're they're choosing when to sort of employ this kind of bias because if my grandma right right who worked for a white doctor in Natchez Mississippi yeah. if my grandmother is being entrusted with your money okay entrusted with cooking your food she could have poisoned you on any day at any time your mm -hmm. whole family wiped out grandma cousin everybody mm -hmm. just dead like you know like uh um she, she's being I mean like what my point is like they're the biases that they are that they have toward black people seem to be biases that they are sort of you're choosing when you want to employ these quote unquote biases because this is the same group of people who are actually very close to you in 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 some ways right right well here's the thing so i would say yeah absolutely but I think where you and I agree is that we would both agree that racism exists and For if sure. you and if you want to say it's a bias and it's but it's a bias at groups. That, um, but my point is that it's one that you're choosing actively. You're choosing, but it's basically, even in those relationships, as long as the hierarchy is you're working for me, that's a certain, you know, that's a certain, there's a certain control factor um, that maybe you could, you know, um, so control now, the bias. So you introduce a good point here. So you're saying that, so you do agree that the power factor is one that sort of- I think the power factor is a much- a much bigger it is it is i think class race and power dynamics and hierarchy are much bigger factors perfect example was that uh, my mentor as you know was the reverend peter gomes african-american oh, yeah. preacher at yeah. harvard who was my boss and i managed his house and and you know kind of he traveled very successfully in the elitist of the elite white world but i think at some level he played a role frankly, and I think Peter would agree he had a Brahmin accent and he was the head of the Mayflower Society and all that kind of stuff. He played a role, but he, I think he put white people at ease. And so they were definitely saying this, I, so this is the phrase they would kind of say in their head, like Joe Biden said about Barack Obama. He is a very articulate black man. Hmm. You know, it's sort of like this black man. He's a good him, black. He's a good black. I can hmm. put him into this category wow. where this is a different black um, and, and an exception probably if you're going to use the the race but really thing. not an exception because no no i'm not know, i'm like, i'm, I'm yeah, talking yeah, from a race sure. i'm saying as a racist i'm saying as like that that drives the racist mindset um now i want to ask you a question i told you so like in i would say in the white community i think we were inculcated with racism though i don't think anybody ever said like we're going to teach that black people are bad but in a thousand different ways you're getting messages as growing up i would say in white suburban america very subtle ways um and obvious ones too obvious but i mean it's not yeah, yeah well my point is 
it, nobody, the worst thing you can call a white person now is a racist. And that's been around for a while. People do not want to be called a racist. People don't mind being called a homophobe, and they don't really mind being called a sexist, but they really don't want to be called a racist. And I'm not sure. Why do you think that is? That's a really interesting question, but it is. it has become almost a subject where you just don't want to be on the other side of it. Um, I have a question for you, though. That's on the, on the white side of it. In the black community, do you think a black person can be racist? Toward whites. This is a trick question because people would, uh, most most people would say absolutely not because of the power dynamic and the position that we hold in society relative to power. Um, But uh, I mean, fundamentally, I do think that people with, if you have, if if you are one skin color, right, mm-hmm. and you have certain perspectives about people with other skin colors, right, well, people a part of other ethnic groups, let's just say, um, and those perspectives are demeaning and dehumanizing and devaluing, like, I would I would say that you could be uh, I mean fundamentally if we just take the word racist yes but there are the the argument um amongst a lot of um of black intellectuals um is that <clears throat> because white people hold power hold hold power mm-hmm. um within our society and um Black folks are kind of subject to the power of white white people because they sit in particular seats to be able to, to sort of control and manipulate and shape and guide like that. It's impossible for black people to be racist. I personally think that anybody can be a racist. Um, I think that there are people. I think that there are black people who um, have racial racist sensibilities toward um, Asians mm-hmm. and toward Latinos. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I mean, that's my personal take. I'm not speaking on behalf of the entire community, but that's my personal yeah, take. Yeah, because, I mean, I think the argument has been, like as you would point out, that the black community can't be racist because the power dynamic is so lopsided um, and the history is so lopsided. I mean, slavery is, the, you know, is unique in, for example, American history as, as an evil. But my experience, interesting, and this is where it comes more theological, I noticed with a lot of the black preachers, they preach against... Um, white people and say dear white people in their sermons and stuff like that and it's a le- and um, I think to myself wow Jesus taught us that as soon as you think that the evil is over there stop with you. reflect yeah and I do think that's one of the dangers right now and I and, and frankly I hear a lot of it in the Black Lives Matter now I actually uh, I think that can come from a desire to be heard and be respected. And I think there's also a natural phase of everybody's life when you're angry and you're just not interested in a discussion or whatever. So I think it's it can be a phase that everybody can go through when they're angry. But the idea, uh, I'm really struck by uh, this gentleman just, just wrote a book about how to be an anti-racist that mm-hmm. I just got. I just heard him speak. And, uh, and he kept saying over and over again, what the white community did was it kept speaking about the black community as not individuals, but as a group that was doing something wrong, mm-hmm. and it need and that that was racism. But at the same time, in his presentation, he referred to the white community over and over again in very condescending, I thought, ways. And um, 
part of it is, you know, on my part, I say to myself, okay, you're kind of getting triggered by this. You're getting upset. So maybe you should just listen and pay attention and be curious because mm-hmm. there's probably, there's parts of you you're, you're not even really aware of. Mm-hmm. So, okay. But I'm also struck by, I don't hear the self-reflection. Like, it's not like um, I'm sitting here uh, hearing a black preacher lecture on how evil the white community is. And I'm thinking to myself personally, and how are you on gay and lesbian issues, mm-hmm. pastor? Mm-hmm. You know, because I've known so many uh, black pastors and black uh, choir directors and so forth who had like, for example, uh, in the 90s, quietly die of AIDS because mm-hmm. nobody in the church would talk about it and they couldn't even say at the very end what really happened. They mm-hmm. died of cancer um, and so forth. So, I mean, and it is not like me, it's not like, you know, what about this or what about that? I think you have to confront racism is a unique evil. I mean, to me, it's like the Holocaust is unique, yeah. what happened to the Jews, that how they were singled out in Germany, to pretend like, and, and there are other uh, historic crimes throughout humanity, and the further back you go, the more evil it gets. And slavery was really unique, and a, really unique how long it lasted into the modern times, mm-hmm. that we're seeing people now whose parent, whose literally there are people alive, whose parents were, and grandparents were in slavery, so it's so recent, and it has had such an impact. So I, I, it deserves, I think, all the attention yeah. and all the reflection. But you know, um, but I, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I, I think that like, so I think that like, at least from my perspective, when I'm talking about white folk who are doing something, like I don't say the good white people, the bad. I just say like white folk because like what and what I'm really speaking to is the white supremacist mindset, mm-hmm. the right the white supremacist mentality, right? right? Which can exist and can live in white people and in people who are non-white, right? right? Like this idea this that that white people are somehow better because they are white. And so I think that what a lot of pastors are sort of speaking to is 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 that it's not necessarily that there's this disdain for every single white every single person with white skin, but there is this disdain rightfully so for people who do have white skin who think that their white skin should afford them privilege and opportunity that other groups uh, are not sort of privileged to to use the word privilege but like i I think that so so that's part of that now when it comes to the whole like lgbt thing i think that the way that uh, that they sort of um bifurcate that Mm -hmm. is that you know, some preachers sort of lift up the idea that it's not a sin to be black. You know, it's a sin, you know, to be something other than heterosexual. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they sort of they sort of split it along um, those lines. I mean, I, I tend to agree that like oppression is oppression. And I think that what what we know about um, the radical who we call Jesus Christ is that Jesus was against oppression, period. Like all oppression, Jesus was totally against that. And so I think that people who who are being true to um, a a a a a Christocentric sort of world group, world worldview and a Christocentric sort of approach to their theology um, are certainly sort of advocating for the end of oppression of every person who finds themselves being oppressed and in the margins in any way. Like right. people who are that's where disabled, and I think that's you, where you and I agree most is that yeah. that the story of Jesus is the story of constantly being reflective, being aware, being aware of your sin that we all have, that we're all children of God, and that becoming aware of it, seeing and then seeing where I've got to change, and with God's help, changing, 
but that could be on any topic. It could be a, yeah. on any any topic that you're talking totally about. Totally agree. Totally agree. I totally agree. All right, so um, we we've I think we've talked a lot about racism. I just want to add um, one other story that comes to my mind, which is I just talked to a good friend of mine this last week that I grew up with, and he was the child of a of very wealthy family. Got very into drugs at a very prestigious Ivy League school, and uh, life started spiraling, spiraling down. Um, he's very successful today, and it occurred to me as it, it, I thought to myself, had he been black or poor, mm. uh, he would have not gotten the resources to been. You don't get a chance to spiral down. I think that's another big factor that uh, I think every family is wrestling with somebody in the family who's having some trouble somewhere. And uh, your ability to help that person, protect that person, and then keep them out of the system mm-hmm. is a class privilege, really. And Definitely. if you don't, you end up. So I, I did want to say that was a good insight that you helped remind me of uh, as you were talking. Um, okay, so a couple things. Two things I'd love to talk about. One is what's the way forward on race in America? It's a big question, but just to get your gut reaction. And then I do want to ask a few questions just about the, the, the presidential race, you know, kind of how, how that, how you see that and, and race. So on the one, where do you see it? Where do you see solutions? Like what, what do you see as way forward? And I'll share my thoughts as well. I mean, we could put all the white people on boats and ship them back to Europe. That would work. And then all the minorities could just live here and we'd make it great and we'd have great food and good music. So send them back is your your chant? Yeah, like send Send all the white people back to Europe. No, seriously, though, I think that people have to come like out of their out of their corners and begin to engage people who are not like you, people whose stories are not like you in whatever way, like all of the ways, like just I mean. From class to racism to sexuality, like start having conversation like by by you lose nothing from having conversation except that big ego that you have that assumes that like, you know, everything your way is the only way like and you don't owe anybody anything like so come out of your corners. Right. And start begin to engage people whose stories might be different from yours and, and be curious as you, you would say, be, be curious. I mean, I think that, um, for me, one of the mantras that I have in my life is that relationship is formed over meals, right? Um, it's really the model that Jesus sort of made for us that when you sit down and you have a meal with someone, you just learn so much about them. It's also the case that you can't just get up in 15 minutes if you're sitting down for, you mm-hmm. know, like a dinner unless you make up an emergency. But I, I think that as we begin to have dialogue and conversation and let's give people permission to make mistakes, right, to give people permission not to know everything, um, I, I think we begin to make progress, right? I don't think that will change it overnight, but it's certainly um, it, it's certainly progress. And as you begin to have these conversations, you then begin to see people in other communities as human, right? And that these human beings deserve dignity, you know, as I said before, and respect, right? And that they should, they, they should be valued. I, I mean, I think that you, reparations is, 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 is one way, but reparations, um, even though we've done it as a country for for other groups, reparations um, can be hard. It's people don't really understand it. So I think that but a, a, a public dialogue from people other than 
black people and folks um, and, and minorities, um, uh, folks who have been oppressed by um, the um, the American patriarchal, racist, white supremacist system, like start having conversations about yeah. what what does that what does it look like to try to repair the harm that we have done and and like really considering it from a serious perspective not in a in a in a in a in a joking spoof kind of funny mm-hmm. kind of way you know what i mean but like in a in a real intentional in a in intentional kind of way but i i think that in terms of individual sort of action mm-hmm. like the next time you go to a bar in a hotel, maybe sit next to someone who looks least like you, whose stories you assume is least like yours and strike up a conversation and you'd be surprised like what you learn and what you walk away with and the questions that you begin to ask yourself as you are exposed to the life experiences of people who, of, of someone who's who's not like you. Like that's my, I think yeah. that's, I think that's low cool. hanging fruit. Yeah, I think that's, that's, I mean, I really couldn't agree more. I would say for white people, dear white people, I dear think white people, dear white people. <laughs> Have you ever seen that show, by the way? Of course. Oh, wow. Um, but what I would say is, um, it's extremely important to be curious about the black community. And what I find extremely frustrating at this time is a lot of white people, particularly white liberals know that feel good about themselves because blacks are part of their coalition they feel really good about that they're in the party that's pro that has the black community and they feel so when they talk about racism they know they're talking about other white people sort of the redneck trump supporter and i would say i would challenge particularly white people particularly elite white people look look in at yourself stop thinking this is the middle america problem or the southern problem I think it's within each of us, and in my experience, one, I, I do feel like, and this is a spiritual principle, the white community or the white white people need to ask for forgiveness or repentance for slavery. I don't, I'm not so much into the group thing and all that, but there is something, I think, this is my experience, I think black people just want to know that... Um, you get it. You you uh, to the best of your ability, you understand it, and actually, you're trying to care. Yeah, I so, love that. Try uh, to care. Try to care. I right. do. I do social entrepreneurism. I do nonprofit. Mm-hmm. I've done it my whole life. So I've been working with, say, young black kids, literally my whole life, uh, going back to running adolescent health in Massachusetts and and creating the teen health program. And I worked funded all the you know the community programs in in the in the black community. And I remember them thinking to myself, like, here comes a young white kid who is definitely unqualified to be to be here why is he coming but um i really believe if you're authentic and you really care and you're compassionate and you really want to help somebody you can communicate that pretty fast and i actually think in my experience working with the black community it's it's got uh, the antennas are up and they know enemies quickly they know frauds quickly and they'll tolerate frauds to a degree Mm -hmm. Um, but they also can connect if people are real and if they're real. Yeah. Now, if they're, you know, there, there could be an axe to grind and so forth, and they don't want to engage anybody. But my experience is um, the literally, as a, this is like a stereotype of a group, the most friendly group. Most loving. Most loving. The only way that the Has Charleston the black massacre community. was able to happen was because 
black people are so loving and so embracing and and so ready to receive anyone who is ready to receive love you you know what i mean oh yeah like, and that's why it's the it's the most christian group because uh people at this conference are saying i can't believe that black community is even christian after what we've been through and i thought to myself actually you're the definition of christianity mm-hmm. because you have suffered more you've forgiven more and you're and you're more loving at the end of the day i'm just saying in my own experience in my own literally walking down the streets of Washington, the people who will be most likely to say hi to me and look at me in the eye are actually African-Americans as opposed to white people. It's just an interesting observation. So I'm just saying that if you, uh, if you create barriers to it, and I think, uh, I think the activists, in my experience, the activists in the gay community and the activists in the black community, um, they don't help. Mm. And the extremes don't help. They drive different stories and we become afraid of each other mm-hmm. politically and i think you just have to ignore that and just go in with uh just go in and, and force and try to meet people who will let you make mistakes because you're going to make we're all making mistakes all the time we just have real. to forgive each other yeah so that's how i think we would move forward let me just can i just say this like i think that you said something about frauds yeah and we have this <laughs> statement maybe you you've heard this statement fake it till you make it yeah like i'm totally okay with fake it till you make it like People who are not there yet, but yes. you want to be there. And right. until you get there, you are so you, you have these external actions that don't necessarily reflect your internal conviction. So you're really faking it until you make like I'm OK with that. I'm, I'm OK with like people sort of I, I mean, because because it's better than the alternative, which is that you continue to treat us with disdain and you don't speak up for our causes and you don't you don't. Um, uh, uh, the, what what, what I, the action produces. You I agree, I, mean? I do, but here's where I would slightly just disagree, and that is, if you fake it, and you're not self-aware, like uh, in yeah, other yeah. words, that's what I'm. You're thinking. faking it, but you don't know what, you're faking uh, it. White liberals who they're, uh, you know, is 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 what I'm kind of thinking in my own mind. People who say to me all the time, like, I'm in the good party, I'm with the good folks, we're fighting for this. Every time there's a police shooting, it's on their Facebook and all that. But in candid conversations they say things like well i would never live in that neighborhood or mm-hmm. whatever like just mm-hmm. a subtle little thing mm-hmm. and it's just a reminder so that's what i meant by faking oh, yeah, it no, no. You're, you're not, not self-aware i think we're all faking it till we make it as far as trying to be a better person but i'm talking about people who aren't even connected to themselves yeah yeah i, I really i'm really just talking about the people who are like way way over in the like the people who are at the extremes and you're like you're like i i really want to be the person that Joe and Rich are talking about today. Like, I really want to be the person right. who has like the the open heart and the open mind, and who's willing to embrace, and the, the the person who is curious and willing to sit at the bar and have a conversation with someone who doesn't look like me. Like, I do think that sometimes, even before it becomes internalized and part of your personal mo, your personal constitution, like sometimes you just have to go and you have to do it. You you just have to start doing it, even when you don't fully like believe it like i'm if we could relate this to faith like sometimes like you're not always 100 like there when it comes to faith but you still get up you come to church you take your sacrament your eucharist you're 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 kind to people like but you're kind to people even when like inside you're you're kind of like in turmoil you're still forgiving people that you want to hold grudges against and so i'm like I, I think it's okay for people to like, I, I think it's okay for 
you not to be all the way there, but making small steps is what I'm saying. Making these small steps of progress, like even if it's not something that you have absolutely internalized, because I think that sometimes when we talk about race and we talk about moving forward, we want to we talk about it from the perspective of a person sort of being totally transformed and just like almost overnight where somebody decides, okay, well, I'm not going to be a racist and I'm not going to look at these communities this way anymore. Well, it might not be that abrupt. Like, I think that that change takes time, right? Right. But like, you can decide tomorrow, today, actually, you can decide today that even with your opinions about like Asian people or Latino Americans or black Americans, that the next time you go into a bar and you see a black dude or a black lady sitting alone, that you're going to go sit there and you're going to have a conversation irrespective of what's happening in you on the inside. Like, that's what I mean by like faking until you make it. Yeah, like, no, I understand. Yeah, I understand. We're all in process. Anything else? Thank you for joining us for this episode. We would love to hear from you. Please leave us a message at 202-656-0325. We may include your message in future episodes. See you next time.